Dr. Homebrew is brought to you by Five Star Chemicals, providing safety and cleaning supplies for brewing, distilling, and winemaking at fivestarchemicals.com. Dr. Love. Stand aside, nurse. I'm Dr. Homebrew. Hey, everybody, welcome. It's Dr. Homebrew, and I was just complaining about my life. You, JP? It's never happened before in the history of this program or this studio or my life. I've never complained about a single aspect of my life. I always Um, call him Mr. Sunshine, you know? That's right. Super positive. I am super positive. I'm positive that this kid is going to kill me. (laughs) Hmm. Hey there, Mr. Blue. <laughs> I just got to go to the store after this, but we're not going to be done for an hour, and then we have to, I have to edit these dumb shows, and then I have to go to the store and then drive half an hour home and then set up my new computer. So well, there's, there's always 24-hour groceries out there, man. Uh, well, yeah, I'm not worried about like making it in time. I just don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to get out of the car and like drag my ass into the friggin' store and you know what I mean just that kind of stuff that is hard normal work. everyday dad stuff right w- walking <clears throat> that's hard dude that takes a lot of work and requires i requires effort yeah it like really does, 2 2 a.m.s like the golden hour man everyone's asleep and you have plenty of time to set your computer up that's true that's true you're not wrong uh before we get into the beers we have today i want to thank our sponsor five star you can go to fivestarchemicals.com and learn about everything you need to make great beer at home brian cooper you know all about five star right you're gonna help me out yeah. while i look for scott's phone number man you, yeah the, you got your pbw you got your your star sand i mean that's really as a home brewer that's all you need to know i that's used to need, clean dude. all my stuff with when I first started brewing, I was like, I'll just clean it with hot water. And I was sanitizing with Iota Forge because that's what, that's what you what did back then, back dude. In the day. Oh, that's God. Right. Yeah, I remember kids, that stuff. Kids these days will never know the I mean, struggle. They, mm. they make a product that is uh, an iodine sanitizer as well. Uh, but but the iodine one does tend to stain your equipment. And um, it is nice. You can you know see when it's mixed properly. But Star Sand, you just, yeah, you just mix it up and... Uh, it foams a little bit. Oh my God! Don't fear the foam, man. The foam right. is, is not your enemy. Right. There's very little left in the bottom of your fermenter. It's not going to cause any problem for. Don't anybody. fear it. Don't fear it, everybody. Um, Iota yeah. Four requires some skill, which means it's bad for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Star Sand doesn't really just get stuff clean. That's right. It sanitizes yeah. things. It's good, which is good for me. Yeah. All right. What do we got going on the show here, Brian? We got. Uh, well, I, see, I see some of my favorite beer here in front got, of you, and I'm excited about that. We've got a yeah, we've got some Guinness Stout coming up. Um, there we go, and we've got some home brewed beer. So uh, yeah, we're going to do a commercial calibration with uh, Guinness Draft Stout. And we haven't done this in a while. It's been a hot minute. What was what was our last commercial calibration? Wasn't it like oh, celebration or? I think it was just an excuse to to have the company buy us beer. <laughs> but did, uh, it might have been celebration. I think we did some. Uh, you got oh, notes? Boy. Tell me you have a note on that. That would be amazing. I have a note, yeah. Mm. In March of 2018, we did Barley Wine. That was Bigfoot, uh, I would imagine. Yeah, the, yeah. the Sierra Nevada Bigfoot. Um, we did also later did some uh, Backwoods Bastard and Alaskan Smoked Porter. Okay. Uh, some Fuller's mm. Vintage Ale. Oh, that's right. Three Fontaine, uh, the Oud Creek. We did some cool, fun stuff. But then we just we did so much all at once and like... The middle of last year, I just yeah. got all burned out on it. I just wanted to do homebrew. Yeah, but now um, we're back, baby. Commercial cows every yeah. day, all day, JP's all show like, long. Have we ever done Guinness? Have we ever done? No, man. I don't think we've ever done no. Guinness. No. I I keep a, a list here, so yeah. And that's the hard part about doing commercial calibrations. We want to try to find a beer that most people can get, if not everybody, right? But you know, sometimes it gets hard to be interested in in you know Negra Modelo, which actually we should probably do Negra Modelo because that shit's real good. It's we, a good we beer. Did it. We did it. Show I, number twenty four. I bet we liked it a lot. Mm. Yeah, we did. I bet we really had a good time. <laughs> mm, we did, yeah. Uh, all right, well, I'll tell you what, man. Let's get Scott on the line here, and um, we'll talk about his cream ale. I'm excited about that. 
We don't get cream ales a whole lot. I mean, I guess, I don't know. Sometimes. You know it would be interesting to, to, to get someone. Uh, hey, Scott, what's happened? Hey. Uh, it, it'd be interesting to get uh, some kind of, uh, you know, data scientist or whatever to analyze the, the beer styles we've gotten over the years, Brian, because I think this is show like 151. Wow. So what is that, you know, multiplied by two? That's like 500 beers. And I wonder, like, how the styles have kind of shifted. Because I feel like cream ales we never got. And then, you know, now it's, I wouldn't say it's, you know, popular. But we've gotten more than one. But uh, I'm excited to drink this one. Because we don't, we still don't have enough of them, really, to, to be kind of bored with it. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. what I want to be. I want to be so bored with everything that... No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Here's another IPA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Scott, we talked to you, what, was it last month or was it the month before? I forget now. Uh, oh, yeah, it's like two months ago. Two months ago. All right, yeah. How's it going since then? <laughs> well, good. All right, we're just calling for our checkup. Uh, you know, prison is treating you well, I imagine, and... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so you sent along uh, this cream ale here for us to drink, and I appreciate that. You, you know, you're gonna maximize the uh, old shipping costs. But uh, Brian Shaw is gonna st- take us uh, take us in through Scott's beer first on a magical and, uh, journey. We're going for it. Yes. Right. So uh, I will preface this by saying, when I was a lot younger, like when I was in college, and I saw like the big the big mouth cream ale at the store, mm. I always thought that was ale that was made with actual cream. Like, oh from yeah, cows. for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I was young and stupid, as opposed to being middle-aged and stupid now. So that's a big difference. Well, you know what? Uh, <laughs> working at Morbier, one of the best calls we ever got at the call center was uh, someone trying to make a milk stout and legitimately blaming us for them adding milk into their wort. And uh, couldn't, like, <laughs> oh, my God. That would have been disgusting. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, right. you know, you're not the only one, Brian. You're not the only idiot yes. in the world. Nice. That's yeah. good to know. Yeah. So first off, nice label. At least your beer looks good. Uh, I really appreciate the label. It's really cool. Well done. That's uh, really some good art. Uh, so that, that, that's a good start. Um, aroma, uh, low aroma overall. Uh, it was sort of a low bready aroma. No hop aroma, no esters. Uh, I think it's pretty clean. There is uh, some slight corn aroma. Maybe a little lower than I might have expected, but it, there is, especially as it warms up, I get some uh, butter uh, diacetyl, which, uh, so I give that 6 out of 12 for aroma. And I'm pausing to shove my nose in this a little bit more again a couple of times. That's just what I do. So I'm a, I want to be sure to give it a proper diagnosis as a doctor of homebrew. That's right. Uh, appearance, uh, this beer is crystal clear. I can read through an inch of it. Uh, pale golden color, uh, medium head is persistent, uh, three out of three. So you know, the clarity is a, excellent, excellent job on clarity on this, especially a beer this light. There's just no room for haze, despite you know, the modern haze craze and stuff. Cream ale ought to be you know, crystal clear. So w- well done in your process to make that happen. Uh, flavor, initially the flavor is malty. Um, I get more uh, two-row uh, some medium hot bitterness, perhaps a little too high for style. Um, this is like an 8 to 20 IBU for bitterness. I personally kind of like it, but from the style standpoint, it may be a little more bitterness than is appropriate. Uh, very well attenuated, so that's well done. Uh, finish is balanced. Get a little bit of cardboard and a little bit of the butter still in the the flavor that was in, in the aroma. So it gave that eight out of twenty for for flavor. Uh, mouthfeel, body's medium, carbonation's medium. No warming. You wouldn't expect warming for a cream ale. It'd be quite a weird cream ale if there was. Uh, more perky than creamy. No astringency. Five out of five for mouthfeel. Uh, overall impression this is a flavorful beer that i think in general is is well made um the issues to me is a recipe issue and a diacetyl issue it's maybe a little too much hot bitterness and flavor in in this beer you might want to back off maybe 20 percent or so uh in 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 my opinion uh at, at most it's not quite as corny or ricey as I expected. I'll be curious when we're, we're done to hear if, because typically cream ale is going to have corn or rice in it. 
I perceived corn. I'll be curious if I rolled the dice and got that fifty uh, percent uh, uh, correct on on being corn. A little more of that flavor would be welcome. Then, uh, with regard to the diacetyl temptation, especially at a really light beer with this that's so clear, is you want to maybe rack off to secondary really quickly uh, to get it off the yeast. Uh, and if that's what you did, I would recommend keeping it on the yeast just a little bit longer. Uh, and maybe a few more days. You got to be careful if that's what happens. But again, we'll discuss your process later. Uh, but typically, diacetyl comes from uh, you know, pulling it off the yeast would be a little too soon. But uh, overall, uh, I'm I'm still sitting here drinking this, and I gave this a 27. All right, <clears throat> Brian Cooper. <clears throat> All right, yeah. So I I do agree again with a lot of what Brian had. In his observations there about this beer, it is a nice label, and um, <laughs> I have, uh, yeah, I I have visited Scott. I know where he comes from, and he's a, he's a he's a good guy. He he showed me around in uh, Honolulu. We went to Honolulu Beer Works, and oh, damn, cool. that's awesome. Yeah, did a lot of fun stuff while I was out there uh, proctoring an exam last October. So I want to thank him for that again. Nice. You're very you're very NPR today. Like, no, I just have you're to very, bag on his beer. No, you're very breathy and very yeah, like. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's uh, coffee uh, talk tonight. Uh, yeah, I want to tell just, you guys about uh, the new sweater I got. Yeah. It's uh, 100% organic <laughs> lamb's wool. Have you heard of this? Have you heard about lamb's wool? Uh, yeah. Is it uh, mm. ethically raised? <laughs> it's ethically mm. raised, yeah. Um, uh, it, never, it never got put to bed. It just went no. to bed on its own. We'll massages. have a 30-minute discussion yeah. about ethics after Every this commercial night. break. Uh, massages <laughs> offer all, the, all right. the lambs, yes. Sponsored by Jorge's Patchouli. <laughs> mm-hmm. Go okay. ahead, Brian, please. Yeah, so uh, in like the aroma, I, I do get corn. I definitely think there's some corn going on here, some maize, if you will. Uh, wow. Um, sweet corn-like aroma and, and rather neutral base malts. Uh, with a background note of some diacetyl going on there. Uh, low fruity esters, some medium low uh, kind of citrusy hop in there, it seems like. Uh, light DMS and and um, maybe just a touch vegetal or else the, the corn combining with the, the butter yeah. is giving me the impression of a vegetal-like note. I get that, for um, sure. Appearance-wise, it is wonderful-looking beer. Uh, brilliantly clear, light gold-colored beer. With a low white head, uh, finer and some larger bubbles. Dissipates after somewhat short time, but uh, I still give it full points for appearance because just that clarity is as stellar. You can just like yeah, see right, read right through it, like Brian said. Uh, Flavor wise, the medium low malt, um, corn like notes, basic kind of breadiness to the malt, not breadiness. Uh, Low citrus and slightly resiny hop, uh, medium low bittery, buttery diacetyl, detracting from everything there. That's that was so nice to start with. Uh, medium bitterness uh, finishes semi dry. Uh, the balance is definitely to the malt here. Slightly, uh, you know, diacetyl and uh, and corn lingering in the aftertaste there. Um, Mouthfeel wise, it's medium light bodied. It's not not super heavy, and it shouldn't be. Um, I do get a moderate creaminess, um, you know, it's namesake, if you will. Um, no real warmth here. It shouldn't have any of that. A touch of diastole slickness. Um, uh, not getting any astringency. It's really clean, uh, and, and smooth drinking. It's just not quite as, um, crisp as I'd hoped. You know, these, these beers just be really refreshing and just have a nice little snap to them and dry off the tongue. I think the butter is maybe causing that to that malt to just kind of linger there a little bit more than it should. Yeah, a little sweetness yeah. still kicking around, yeah. Um, overall, it seems like a good cream ale. Uh, the recipe seems good. Uh, just just that very evident diastole inhibiting my enjoyment a little bit. Sorry, Scott. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know what? You know how to do a diacetyl rest, but uh, yeah, definitely leave it on that primary yeast uh, cake another day or two after it finishes fermenting out. Um, keep it up at 68, 69 Fahrenheit once the terminal gravity is reached and, and you're solid there. Uh, but yeah, I give it a 26. I, I, it's, it's good beer. I just, and it has just one, one minor flaw, you know, uh, but, but it's, it's one that I just, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't do the beer any favors, sadly. 
So, uh, but I can tell what what's behind it is really good, and it's a nice, nicely brewed beer. Just um, just cleaning up that that butter, it's going to help it a lot. Okay. Well, Scott, let's talk about your uh, your your beer for a bit. Actually, can we get your recipe first, and then we can kind of yeah, jump in? Yeah, what the absolutely. Guys so, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, it was a uh, so five gallon batch um, with uh, 82% two row pill two row, then nine percent flaked corn, five uh, percent Vienna, and then five percent flaked oats. Vienna. Huh. Is maybe Brian, do you think that might be contributing? Doesn't it kind of give a little like sweetness thing? Do you think that could be contributing to to some of that the after? sweetness in the yeah. yeah, possibly. Yeah. And then for the hops, I did all noble hops. Um so for sixty minute rest I did uh about three quarters ounce of saws and then at fifteen minutes I did a half ounce of saws and another half ounce of Haller Tower. And then at uh about five or at four uh, hop rest. I did uh, saws and Howard Tower again, both a uh, quarter ounce of each of those, and then I pitched uh, two packets of uh, Safel USO5 yeast. Uh, the diastole, I 100% agree with that. <laughs> this was uh, <laughs> I brewed this batch, and within seven days, I had it in a keg. Due to life events happening, I had to rush this beer really quickly. Okay, uh, yeah, <laughs> I. Uh, Basically fermented out for about six days. I had to cold crash it to get it into a keg uh, because of some moves that are happening, and uh, I had to get all my brewing equipment out of here. So, oh gosh, never let life get in the way of of beer, dude. I don't know what. I mean, come on. Then uh, the the and this was also my first batch on the grandfather. Okay. Uh, so the hop utilization seems like a little bit off than what the calculator was saying. I agreed to when I first tasted beer it was way too. More bitter than uh, the calculators had told me it was yeah, supposed to be. Yeah, really substantially so. hoppy. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised how bitter it is, given that those are noble hops. You didn't add a tremendous amount of them for a five-gallon batch. Yeah. So that's that's really interesting. Well, it's, yeah, it's really about what, two and a half ounce total of hops for the entire yeah. batch. Yeah. Well, it sounds like uh, what the grandfather is pretty efficient then, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so that that explains the six days fermentation. Definitely not long enough for a for a diacetyl rest. So man, you you live on the islands. You need to like have a relaxed pace for your beers, man. Like be a little more, you know, NPR. It's like <laughs> relax, <laughs> right. relax, and chill out. More you know, Ohana. Let it sit. Yeah, yeah. I fermented at sixty about sixty six degrees until I cold crashed. I never I never yeah. wanted to raise the temperature for our diacetyl rest. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, it's even right, 66 man. should be fine to clean up diacetyl if it's left on the yeast long enough. It's not good. Yeah. 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 I think that's just a, a, a five, six day fermentation is just that's that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Also, my first time using the USO5, so I don't know if that's more of a diacetyl yeast that will, you know, create more diacetyl so. or not. I've never used it before. No, I, th- I think it's your... I don't uh, have any experience with that. I think but, it's just pushing it out under a week. I mean, that's yeah. pretty, uh, you know, especially with um, your malt bill like that, I think that'll do that. Yeah, it's very ambitious. I haven't had the problem with the O5. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you have any questions, Scott, specific to any of the feedback Brian or Brian gave you? No, that's exactly what I was hoping for, was to, to validate the assumption <laughs> I had there was a lot of diacetyl in it and yeah. then the, the recipe. Um, well, I know you said you didn't get a lot of corn in there. I used, you know, almost 10% corn. So you think I should jump that up quite a bit? Maybe 15%? I got plenty of corn. I, I got think plenty of corn. I, I, think, Char- I, I That was my perception, but I think my perception of corn was being masked by the butter. Yeah. And I think clearly the number one problem in this beer is the diacetyl. Yeah. And you understand that. You knew, you knew why it happened. I think your recipe is probably fine. Uh, if Even you went back Vienna? and... You know, yeah, why? Why not? Just go oh, for it. Money, and I'd I say guess. just uh, brew brew this again, but brew it under more uh, normal circumstances. You don't have to worry about moving, and just see what you think before you change a lot yeah, of stuff. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point because yeah, the diacetyl will will kick a sweetness, and I, yeah. I, but I think you'll find the Vienna is too much. But that's just me. I don't know. It could be. Well, try you know, as what, what do try we it. always like to say? Change one variable at a time. That's true. And the most important variable here is don't rush this out. You know, give give it two weeks to ferment all the way out, and then you know, keg it yeah. up, bottle it, whatever. Send us some more. I'd like to see you do this again, and send us another uh, go round of this because yeah. I I think 
you know, then we'll then we'll complain about Vienna. Then that's <laughs> true. Let's just do it without <laughs> diacetyl right. and see you what know, happens. I always like to say uh, the plungers under the sink. Don't be afraid to use it. That's right. And then yeah. I leave, and I leave the room, and then my kids like I don't understand. Oh, um, we've we've got some really good cream ale brewers in our in our club, the Mad Zymergist as well. And awesome. uh, you know, this is a beer. It doesn't. There's not a lot to hide behind. So no, um, keeping it clean is essential. And uh, yeah, boy, anything that pops out, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. So uh, you know, it's a pretty nice job with the beer. I actually enjoyed it. That I can get past the butter a little bit, but it's it's just to a point where it's just annoying enough. <laughs> like, ah. Yeah, oh, I wish I had a hard there. time myself finishing my own beer. <laughs> right, right. There's no there's no shame in dumping. I've done it myself. That's true. Or giving six packs to your alcoholic neighbor. That's right. That's also true. And then again, if you dump it or twelve packs. The plungers underneath the sink. Mm. Don't be afraid. Um, all right, Scott. Well, I guess that was it. So we'll uh, we'll let you split, huh? All righty. All right. All right. Man. Thanks, man. Yeah, sure. Bye, dude. Hope to visit again. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, dude. Who doesn't want to go to some cool bottle shops out there? We did a lot of good beer beer tourism. That's awesome. awesome. <clears throat> what else is cool? More beer wants to change your malt game with Viking Malt. Hailing from Northern Europe, Viking Malt is a family-owned malt house since 1883 and is the largest specialty malt producer in the world. Their base malts are malted from Nullox varietals that don't contain the enzyme lipooxygenase, which leads to trans 2 nonanol in beer, which is responsible for those stale cardboard flavors. So head over to morebeer.com and brew with ingredients from the future. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back, and we're going to be drinking two different kinds of Guinness. Well, I guess it's technically the same kind of Guinness. It's Guinness Draft. But one's in a can and one's in a bottle because uh, Brian Cooper just really wants to drink Guinness, and I think Let's that's get great. Scientific here, yeah. Why not? Let's just you know, in, in part of 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 lining this with the dry Irish stout, which I think is the category, right, yeah. Brian? I, yeah, Irish stout. This is going to be Irish stout. just so that during the break you can be sure you're ready. This is fifteen B Irish stout 15B. in the 2016 style guidelines. Nice. So we're going to figure out if we can tell the difference between can and bottle. Hmm. That was it 2016, 15? The 15. 16? Yeah. I, yeah. Jesus. At some point was. in the past, it's the most recent one. It's it would, fine. It would t- I mean, yeah, people can make that mistake all the time. I think it would take a, 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 some sort of grandmaster judge to know the difference. All right, I everybody. Maybe. We'll be uh, right back. This is Dr. Homebrew. Don't leave, please. Hello, fellow BNers. This is Sully from the 21st Amendment Brewery located in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park. Before Nico and I opened the 21A and before I was a professional brewer, I homebrewed on my small four-burner apartment stove in a back house in Santa Monica, California, making my extract brews before graduating to the daunting idea of all-grain brewing. Homebrew books and information was hard to come by back then. The Internet hadn't been invented yet, along with other things we take for granted today, like electricity and potable water. One thing I wish I had back then when I was learning was a radio show that could teach me the ins and outs of brewing and answer questions that I had about homebrewing, a resource for making great craft beer. The 21st Amendment Brewery is excited to be a proud sponsor of Dr. Homebrew, a great show that teaches you what you need to know about making incredible beer. Good stuff. Listen up, you might learn something. I certainly did. And thanks for your support. Tasty Crack Games. Now, back to the examination. All right, thanks for sticking with us, everybody. We're about to drink some Guinness and, uh, you know, do all that kind of fun stuff over here on Dr. Homebrew. Brian, what you reading, buddy? Uh, just some information I got on the Guinness website and nice. how to how to pour the perfect pint. Uh, it really is an art uh, pouring a proper pint of Guinness um, of any stout, really, in a bar or a pub. It, it sometimes takes you know five minutes before you get your beer. You know, you have that's to, true. You have to pour that first, uh, you know, two thirds of it uh, or three fourths of a glass and, and let it it kind of surges, and then you need to let it settle. And then you fill the glass the rest of the top to get that perfect pint. Yeah. So while you guys pour that, because um, we should get going and uh, pour these beers, these beers are still in their containers, and that makes me very sad. I want to free the beer. 
We shall free the beer. I like to free the beer. Uh, so we had uh, a representative from the uh, American Guinness Brewery. Yes, that is correct. There is a, a brewery on the West Coast. I want to say it's in Maryland, but I may have just forgotten about that. Um, and I had asked him on the show, you know, about that kind of old wives tale. At least I heard growing up, for lack of a better term, as a home brewer about trying to make Guinness at home. And people would tell me, well, you need to have a portion of it that's sour beer. So you have to have two batches and blah, blah, blah. Is that true? And he goes, well, no, but what they used to do in Guinness, you know, in, in, in pubs is they used to serve like three fifths of the beer from an old cast and then the rest of the let that settle and the rest of the beer came from a new cask and that's kind of just where that two that two step pour process kind of comes from it's not i think it, it doesn't really do anything you'll still get a you'll still get the same looking beer um but it's kind of an from what he was saying it's kind of an homage to how they used to pour it yeah if you remember back in the 90s uh, they used to have all these books about clone beers, yeah, yeah, written, yeah, yeah. And, and nobody knew anything about anything. Like, oh yeah, and that's partly, to my recollection, where this five percent sour thing comes from was somebody writing a book that didn't know anything. It was before that, oh, but yes, it has that to book be sucked. like, uh, oh, there, there were there were several of them. No. It wasn't not to single out one, but oh god, they were all terrible. Yeah, they were the worst books. And it was before you had the internet where you could actually try to compare things. Right. Uh, and, uh, there's someone just pulled stuff out of their their butt for so many of those books. Yeah, that clone that clone brews book was was kind of the worst. All right, so here we go. We have a, a a fresh sample of Guinness in front of us, and what did you say it was Brian? Fifteen no, B. This is uh, yeah, the uh, fifteen B. Okay. This is from the the bottle, and we got the curved uh, you know the curved bottles with the the toucan on the label. It's All right. a white bottle with the toucan. Does this have the widget? Brian Cooper and I were uh, furiously arguing before the show started. Where if it doesn't have a widget or not? I think it does. Well, I remember it, up, it having. The widget. I remember the bottles having the widgets in them. There's no widget in this there bottle. There is no widget in the bottle. I, I know that some of, the, some of the bottles have a rocket-shaped uh, widget in them. The, the widgets are different shapes in the bottles versus the cans. I guess the cans have a round one. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess but, it would make sense because that <laughs> yeah. widget would just stop up the beer flow. What these widgets do, yeah, I mean, this is this one is meant to be just drank out of the bottle, I guess. So, yeah. Um, so you can sip it that way. But uh, the widget itself is meant for pouring into a glass and, uh, you know, the proper way for all the people out there. Um, but, yeah, you know, the um, the widget, what it does is just shoots a little little shot of, of nitrogen into the beer uh, when that pressure differential you know, when you crack the cap, then the pressure instantly changes, yeah. and it shoots a, a stream of uh, of of some nitrogen into your beer to give you that uh, cascading, creamy head that you um, that you expect from McGinnis. You all know and love. And this is right. why I wanted to pour both versions, is because um, I'm familiar. You know, we're all familiar with draft Guinness. We should be, uh, but I wanted to taste the difference between a bottle with with no widget. And a can uh, that 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 has the widget. You can hear it when you shake the cans. <laughs> so I know it's in there. Well, should we bust and, that open? And Brian, what? I really yeah, appreciate right. that. Let's and I'm going to just for briefly mention that. So this is where my engineering brain takes over. Uh-oh. So several years ago, I remember reading that uh, Left Hand makes that nitro milk stout. Yeah, yeah. Which actually had some in Colorado when I was at CBC. It's, not bad. it's, 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 it's good. a really good beer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they were the first ones okay. to be able to package. With nitro in the bottle with no widget. Right. And apparently because it requires like a special seal because the nitro will want to get out. It's a different uh, size. It's a small, it's a tiny molecule, right? Because you look at the periodic table, nitrogen is what, like three or four? Carbon's four, right? Yeah. I think nitrogen's like three. So it's a very very small. On the periodic table. (laughs) But the point is, nitrogen is like a really small, light molecule. Right. And carbon dioxide, it's Thanks, a molecule. Sir. It's carbon and oxygen, two oh. oxygen. So it's a lot bigger. Okay, they're still super tiny by our standards. Sure, right, right. Compared from, to like an orange yeah, or Yeah, compared to like or my penis. Right. But no. uh, still, <laughs> sorry, On the same scale. Where, where did that come from? So uh, regardless, uh, nitrogen is a lot harder to seal in. So left hand, my understanding is they about six, seven years ago figured out how to be the first ones to package nitro without having to use a widget. And I suspect that wherever they got that technology from, they may have licensed that to Guinness 
but not having to use the widget just makes the whole process simpler. Uh, and that's maybe why we're not see- getting one in the bottle. It's interesting trying them both side by side. The draft, uh, the can is creamier, much creamier. Yes, much, than much the bottle. Creamier. Yeah, yeah. The, the bottle tastes more like more like a stout. Like a yeah, like a basic. There's roasty in there. Yeah, the bottle is slightly more roasty tart, mm-hmm. not yes. citrus tart, but mm-hmm. a little more tartness. Yeah, definitely get a. There's definitely a difference here. Mm-hmm. It's mostly That's in the mouthfeel too. Like to just mm-hmm. the way it fills your your. It's your dry. Palate. It's a dry finish. Wow, it feels um, it feels fuller when you have the the nitrogen in that beer. No, they're both really good, and the nitrogen's in the bottle, but I think it's escaping faster, and it's just kept in there differently. Yeah, in a way that just these beers are. Definitely similar, but there's a definitely a difference. I wouldn't be surprised if they're, they're treated differently. You know, oh, after, no. after the uh, fermentation, after filtration, or whatever. Uh, you know, the the carbonation process has got to be different, and that's got to change something. Is there more be more carbonation in the draft? Maybe it's a, in the bottle version. I mean, it, it tastes that way. It tastes a little more acrid. I don't know. Uh, you yeah. know, I don't know if that's carbonation bite because the uh, the like, the nitrogen. Maybe there's more nitrogen in the can. The nitrogen just kind of smooths the out, smooths out the coffee impression and the the roasts, and mm-hmm. just um, yeah, just makes it float a little smoothly over your tongue. Are you guys the other seeing has a little a, harsher bite? I'm sorry, Brian. Yeah, yeah. Are Are you guys seeing a difference in the head quality? The oh, head absolutely. between the two? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. The one from the can looks like the classic different. Guinness, and the one yeah. from the bottle looks like just a normal beer you poured. You know, where like uh, there's little pockets of the actual beer showing through the kind of thin head. Yeah, right? and as I poured it, I could see this the actual kind of sheeting, you know, action that you mm-hmm. see when that you pour a, a nitrogenated beer. And Brian, you were saying the bottle is intended to be more drank from the bottle. Yeah, this is for you know frat boys to drink on the beach, mm, whereas the can boy. is for us to uh, sip uh, by you know by the fire fireside. Yes, but intellectual. Yes. Well, the can has a harp on it, and tilt your glasses right. down a little bit. This mm. is for intellectuals only. Is the is the mm. is the Guinness in a can? The Guinness in the draft is for people who use Spring their break. parents' Chevron card. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Can what I that can means. I do that? I sure. See if use I can parents grab my parents' Chevron card. Yeah. All right. Well, who wants to start off? And let's see if we if these beers line up with the with the uh, BJCP guidelines, which of course everybody knows that anything written by a home brewer is vastly superior to anything written by a professional. For some reason, this the marketing on this bottle though just attracts me. I want to drink beer with the frat boys. Uh, <laughs> well, I love the, pe- the pelican. <laughs> the pelican is so colorful the and nice. Yeah, yeah, they're doing a lot of the throwback marketing. So it's the, it's the it has. It, what's interesting is the bottles have a wrap on them. Yeah, right. So they're not printed bottles, which is super smart. But it's that white wrap with the toucan yeah. on it, with the pint on his beak, and it's uh, very clever. Because when I was again cutting my my craft beer teeth, I Guinness all the time. That was my oh, first, yeah. my first legal commercial beer for my birthday. Uh, was a keg of Guinness that I had for my party. No shit. Yeah, that's it's pretty, pretty cool. It's pretty badass. Um, but I, I was uh, obsessed with the with the older marketing of like the twenties and thirties of Guinness. It was great. I, I'm definitely not the only one because they they've been bringing it back for like yeah. two years now. So it's I, pretty cool. I found an image of the first uh, the first toucan advertisement from 1935. If you look it up, uh, there's articles about this. But uh, it, it has a uh, the toucan with with two pints of Guinness next to it. Uh, and he says, uh, if he can say, as you can, Guinness is good for you, how grand to be a toucan. Just think what <laughs> you can do. Mm, <laughs> I know. Stupid marketing. But the, the toucan, hey. interestingly, has like a very much more like pointed beak. It's longer yeah. and more curved. It's definitely not as cartoony they as the one I have now. a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But just think what toucan do. It's like he's drinking toucans. Oh, shit. Uh, all right. Who's going to go first? I, I, whichever, yeah. Brian well, Cooper, it. go first. I'm going to steal your artwork, okay. I'm and drink you the, talk uh, about the beer. I'm going to drink the canned version here, because I'm just liking this a little better right now. I agree. Um, Both have their merits, but I, I definitely am more, uh, I guess, f- familiar or acclimated to the canned version than the bottle. 
Um, and not a lot of people know this beer is not much uh, calorie wise. It's about the same as Budweiser. You know, it's like dark. It's stout. It must be really high in calories and really high in everything. Or al- alcohol. And alcohol. Yeah. It's, it's not. It's it's weaker than Budweiser and about the same level of calories. So. Oh yeah, my my dad had one after golfing once. He was telling me, "Hey, ever have this beer called Guinness?" Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, it was actually really kind of light. And I said, "Yeah, it's dark. It doesn't yeah. have any relationship to alcohol." How about instead of Guinness, it's out. it's Guinness, and it's only for guys. It's for guys only. <laughs> hmm. So Sorry. Then, yeah, it's about nose. 30 years too late for that marketing. <laughs> yeah. In the nose, uh, you're going to get a light coffee-like aroma. And um, it's um, you know, coffee, chocolate, a little cocoa, and um, you know, a hint of roasted grains. But it's not smoky or burnt at all. It's just clean, uh, smooth, chocolatey, and, and, and light coffee-like notes. So um, there really isn't much hop going on here. Um you can have a lightly earthier floral hop in this, but it, it's typically uh, not there. This one, this one doesn't seem to have any any notable hop. Um, Appearance-wise, it's it's pretty dark, but if you look at it, it's actually a kind of a deep deep brown with kind of ruby highlights to it. It's uh, it's not pure black. Some stouts can go towards black and jet black but uh those tend to be a lot roastier what's the srn more bitter too 36 boy yeah it can can i don't think it's going in 40s because of those highlights right well it can range 25 to 40 so start starting at even 25 that's just kind of a medium brown brown right 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 um yeah getting up to getting up to 40 you're getting towards definitely towards black but yeah this one's probably closer to mid you know lower to mid 30s than it is to anywhere near 40 <laughs> so um yeah but uh yeah appearance wise it also has this creamy tan colored head light tan colored head of uh, just all fine bubbles and that's all from the nitrogen um if you pour a carbonated version of it it's going to look different a carbonated stout is going to have bigger bubbles and head retention may not be as good um and it's going to the mouthfeel is going to be a lot different too. So, um, but yeah, it's it's um, the flavor-wise, you know, moderately roasted grain. Um, it's 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 got a substantial amount of bitterness when you get into it, but it's it feels smooth because of the uh, the nitrogenation. These nitro beers just just smooth everything out, kind of. Um, and the bitterness is not only from hops, of course. It's just from the from the roasted grains. You get a lot of bitterness, too. Um, the finish should always be dry on this beer. If you if you drink it and you get a, a lot of sweetness on the end of the, the finish, it's it's not uh, attenuated enough. Um, so you definitely want to keep these beers, uh, keep that yeast happy. And uh, probably if you're brewing one, mash at a lower uh, temperature, you know, 148 or... Or thereabouts, keep those uh, the beta amylases nice and happy, and and uh, and producing nice simple sugars for your yeast to ferment. Um, so yeah, it's got like this, you know, the bitterness that comes in and the flavor uh, playing off of the um, the sweetness of the cocoa and chocolatey kind of flavors uh, gives you this bittersweet chocolate kind of character in the palate, and that's kind of if you wanted to just describe this beer in a few words, it's almost, it's like a bittersweet chocolate bar yeah. almost you know um there's you're not getting any, any alcohol um flavors um there's you know there's obviously a little bit in there but it's not not poking out it's just smooth not biting and um very dry so that into the mouthfeel uh creaminess is really what defines it to me it's like you drink it and it just floats off your tongue and just is smooth and and feels thicker than it really is it's a pretty light beer with a with not a lot of body left in it uh but but uh when you get a proper pour of a pint at a at a pub or um you know pour one of the widget cans uh you should definitely get that a really super creamy mouthfeel and the again that's where there's a big difference between these two samples that we have here so um the uh the bottle one for me is rounding out a little bit now yeah it's it's not a unenjoyable it's it's oh it's no nice. not at all but but as far as like those kind of roasty qualities that we're talking yeah. about for me they've just kind of rounded rounded off and it's not as creamy obviously as the canned one 
Um, it does taste like there's a little more carbonation to it, a little more CO2, yep. um, where the, the can version just always kind of seems flat, which is fine. It works. But uh, mm-hmm. it's also my theory that you need to build a, a recipe to counter or to, to, to build off of the added creaminess and the s- sweetness of nitrogen. Yeah. You can't just nitrogenate any fucking beer. Agreed. I, 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 don't, I don't know if I've had many good commercial nitrogenated beers. It should work together. It shouldn't detract from anything. Nitrogen is just an ingredient in it, and it does add. There is a, a sweetness. Maybe it's a perception, but anyway, I don't know why. Uh, <clears throat> I found yeah. the, uh, the patent information on the Guinness widget. Mm. It's called the smoothifier. Mm. And the, yeah. uh, the whole... That uh, the nitrogen comes out as is point uh, six one millimeters. Just hmm. so you know, what's the plus or minus on that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, I'll uh, tell you a funny story. So uh, in the late nineties, when these cans first came out, and I was a new associate at a law firm, I was uh, my buddy who was also an associate, and I were over at my house and we're drinking a lot of Guinness and we're pretty drunk. Um, it's about two o'clock in the morning, some Saturday night. So we decide we're going to get some, we get really curious about how the widget works. So we get like some big old scissors out of my toolbox, cut it open, look at it. And being patent attorneys, we look up the patent and some, I, I, not sure how much we were able to read, given that we were pretty lit. <laughs> that's like stuff patent attorneys do at 2 a.m. Let's look, let's look up the patent from the widget. Is it's uh, how does this thing work? Uh, so it's just kind of a funny thing. This is interesting. It talks about what happens during the filling process. So uh, the 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 pod, the widget, is inserted into the bottom of the can. Um, it's blow molded with nitrogen. A laser zaps a hole in the pod. The pod is inserted in the bottom of the can. The can is filled with CO two uh, nitrogen. Stout, right? Nitrogenated stout. Mm-hmm. Um, nitrogen is present at 1.5 uh, volumes minimum, up to 3.5%. Um, volume volumes is the number of volumes of gas which are dissolved in a unit volume of beverage at 760 millimeters of HG. Uh, so whatever. That's for smart people. <clears throat> oh, I think this is really interesting. During the filling of the can, foam rises to the top of the can. This clears out the air. We all know that. We've all filled shit before. A charge of liquid nitrogen is added to the stout. So they put liquid nitrogen into the beer uh, okay. that's already nitrogenated. right? right, it's, right, it's, right. So it's at a low nitrogen CO2 mix. Beer gas mix, right? Yeah. Liquid nitrogen in the in the stout, and then they seal the can. As the liquid nitrogen boils off in the can during pasteurization, the top of the can pressurizes and forces the stout into the nitrogen pod, thus compressing the ambient pressure nitrogen in the pod. Mm-hmm. So that's how they get the gas in the right. pod. Is they just they just put it in the fucking can and fill on top of it, but there's no nitrogen in the pod yet. Right. So the, the it's pressurized. I was wondering how they get that in there. Right. That's, that's pretty cool. Mm. That's really fucking cool. Equilibrium. That's, that's the innovation. That that's that's the spark of genius right yeah, there. Is doing that. Equilibrium is reached at about twenty five psi. Uh, hmm. So when the can is open, the can quickly depressurizes to ambient temperature. The pod thus expels the stout contained in it, about 10 to 15 milliliters, at high velocity through the orifice, which now I'm horny. Uh, hmm. This causes high local strain of the stout at the plane of the orifice. The strain exceeds the cohesive forces holding the gases in solution. As a result, the nitrogen CO2 is liberated from the stout at the plane of the orifice. Liberate your orifice. So it rips apart. So it's beer yeah. gas. It's a nitrogen-CO2 combo. Interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I'm pretty sure is present in the bottle. Yeah, that's crazy, dude. Which is why the bottle has a little more carbonation, I think, right? I'm pretty sure there's beer gas in the bottle because a little yeah, more carbonation in the bottle lot. than they can. No, not yeah. a lot. And apparently they got rid of the widget. There are people online uh, as far back as 2010 cr- complaining that they took the widget out of the bottle. So I guess it's been a hot minute since I've had yeah. a bunch of mm, Guinness in the yeah, bottle. I haven't, but. I haven't had it from the bottle in a while. Uh, people I like guess to complain. Too, there's a little story, too, on uh, one of the articles I found that uh, – the first widget, you know, they invented it back in 69. They released it about 20 years later. Uh, it was a flattened s- sphere that sat at the bottom of the can. Huh. Well, uh, it did its job when you served the beer cold, but when you uh, open something warm, 
the beer <laughs> exploded everywhere after the can was cracked <laughs> open. So they, they that's when they created the smoothifier. They re-engineered it and made the smoothifier, which is the round spherical widget that you see in the cans. Nice fire. Um, the bottles used to have a plastic rocket-shaped widget. Yes, uh, that was yeah, uh, designed for those. But yeah, they put a lot of thought into this. And yeah, really, that's I mean, cool. It, it's man. cool. It, it, it approximates what you get when you get a draft Guinness. Uh, uh, absolutely, it's not going to be exactly the same. Well, and, and, and no, can you imagine? You know where Guinness would be without the smoothifier. I mean, that's, you know, millions, obviously multi-million dollar like process to perfect and whatever, uh, but good on them for pushing for it yeah. because this is the only way you can really enjoy Guinness on the go um, without getting it, it like to go. Guinness on the go. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like they've been pretty smart from the get-go. I guess, you know, it, Arthur Guinness... In 1759, he signed a 9,000-year lease hmm. on a defunct old brewery, <laughs> and that's what became Guinness. That's it's pretty like good, right? Freaking St. James Gate, baby. You know, like, this is this is uh, history, but, like, they were pretty smart. They had that lease until the year uh, 10,759, I guess. Longer than, longer than the British had Hong Kong. <laughs> that's true. Uh, I'm sorry, Brian. I think I cut you off, or were you done... I, I'm pretty much done. I mean, just overall overall impression. It's just, um, you know, it's a creamy and and lightly roasty beer with a lot of coffee. Always dry. Yeah. Um, you know, persistent head and 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 just uh, you know, nice effervescence, kind of mouth filling, despite how light in an alcohol and and uh, you know residual body the beer is. So. Um, True. It's kind of a cool beer that way, and um, it's a lot of fun to drink a pint of it. Brian Shar, got anything to add? What do you think? No, I don't have a lot to add to what Brian said. I generally agree with him. I think the bottled one came out more roasted, and I wouldn't say acrid's negative word. I wouldn't say that, but a little more tart and roasty uh, from the bottle. But as as they've warmed up and settled and some of the uh, gas has blown off, it's calmed down. I think the can, to me, is a little more close to the draft experience once you've poured it in a glass, but they're still both really close. Guinness is always, you know, year in, year out, they're one of those breweries that they just produce consistent product that's always high quality. You know, yeah. wherever you get it, I've this is one of the great things about Guinness is you go around this great land of ours and other places, too, and you go to a bar, and you, you might not always go to, like, a good uh, craft beer place. Uh, but pretty much everywhere has Guinness. So if you're stuck with, you know, maybe getting some macro pills or something, and, you know, you could usually get a can or a bottle of Guinness anywhere, and it's consistent, and it's consistently good. Um, I would prefer, you know, given my choice of the two of these, I'd take the can. But it doesn't mean right. – it's, right. it's, a, it's a personal preference – I mean, these are both, you know, high 40-point beers. This is the iconic Irish dry, what they used to call Irish dry stout. Now it's Irish stout uh, in the guidelines. They're both just iconic. Uh, the can version's a little softer, a little creamier, a little less carbonated, a little less, uh, maybe no CO2, I don't know. Bottle, I'd, I would guess, there's a little CO2 in here, a little more roasted malt. Still, it's uh, they're, they're both uh, both really good. Uh, and Brian, thank you for going to get these. And I think it's a really great idea. You, you had a great. We were talking about a commercial calibration. I really enjoyed that we got to compare the bottle and the can yeah, side to good, side. That was a good. That was a good job. Uh, yeah. What would you give it if you guys had to score this? What would you give it? Um, we have to score these beers. Yeah. While comparing it to the perfect, you know, pint poured in a, in a good well, no, Irish pub. To the guidelines. To the guidelines. Yeah, yeah. If this was a homebrew. That would be the top. Uh, but, yeah, to get a homebrew to pour like this, boy, that would be, you'd have to have your own widget. Yeah. <laughs> but just flavor-wise, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. right? Like, don't don't worry about the the, the widgetization or whatever. But uh, right. if it makes you feel better, if it makes it, it, makes it easier... The bottle version. How would that stand up as a homebrew to this style? Because that's really what the point is, right? Are mm-hmm. we? Are we? Yeah. Are these beers? How do our style guidelines connect to these beers and vice versa? Yeah, the homebrewed one is going to pour a lot more like the the bottled version there. Yeah, I think for it's sure. Definitely, you know, into the higher thirties for sure, at least. Yeah, I'm gonna point five. I'm gonna be a little okay. different, and I'm gonna also carp a little bit about the guidelines. This is 
the guidelines talk about medium to high hop bitterness. I'm like, really? And then you read to the end, and it's like, um, the level of bitterness is somewhat variable. I'm like, you're, we're on a podcast. You can't see me roll my <laughs> eyes like my 11-year-old daughter does. That's true. Uh, you, you can't say medium to high and then, like, in five sentences, well, it can be variable. It's like, no, that's that's bullshit, right? This We've all had Guinness. This is not a high bitterness beer, no. okay? This is maybe you know, low to medium. I don't want my dry so, stouts to be bitter. No, and I, yeah. I there's some bitterness in here, but a lot of the bitterness comes from the roasted barley. Right. Yes. This is right. this is not a beer you want to have be high. Um, if you want a hoppy stout, get an American stout. I like a hoppy stout sometimes. It's not a Guinness. Uh, I would. I definitely would rate the can a little bit higher. Uh, I would give the can maybe like a 43, 44, and the bottle maybe more like a 38, 39. Okay, um, interesting. But it, not, neither, neither one. And I, I get when they kind of sit in your mouth, there's maybe a little bit of a perception of higher bitterness. Yeah. But again, that's a lot of that is the roasted barley. Right. Right. So this is, you know, in, in whatever, whatever they update the guidelines, Gordon, if you're listening, <laughs> uh, and I, who knows, he's, I'm sure he's hanging on our every word. Oh, you know, yeah. Go, go back and think a little bit about he this medium it. to high bitterness nonsense yeah, with Gordon. the Irish stout. Let's call him right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, very good, boys. Um, yeah. One other thing to say about this beer, too, and yes. it's, it's debatable, but it's, it's, it's probably, uh, it maybe, maybe just a rumor. I don't know. But in the old, uh, the 20, 2008 guidelines, there was mention of a small percentage, uh, perhaps 3% of sour soured beer uh, being sometimes added for complexity, generally by Guinness only. Um, but that, it, it, from what I've heard, is is maybe kind of debatable. The, the brewery has never admitted to that or anything like that, but it's just uh, some people, they, they, they do that supposedly just to kind of... Um, yeah, no, we to, talked you know, about it. No, they don't do that. Yeah, that's a they, that's like totally said, false. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a funny thing how that the rumors like that get started. And then you have home bursts, and they're trying. Well, I've got to sour and add three percent of this, yeah. and then it's like, no, it's the perfect Guinness. You well, know? because mm. it, you know, and then those then the bugs multiply, yeah. and like, and what what all that is is it's just like you know, as 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 home brewers in the seventies and eighties and nineties when we got turned on to Belgian beers, yeah. And you go, oh my God, all these complex wow. flavors and whatever. And then you go and you have a fresh Belgian beer. Or you go to like e- even um, just any fucking pale ale or whatever. Any sort of beer that we used to have that you couldn't really get in distribution where you are. You yeah. go to that brewery and it tastes 100% different. It tastes totally... Yeah. Because it's not baked in a car for six months. <laughs> and, you know, back then, there, you know, the packaging was different. But especially with Guinness, it, 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 to counter what Brian said a little bit, Guinness, for me, is very hot and cold as far as the freshness and the availability. Like, when that beer goes, it kind of goes. And it can get this tart kind of spoiled character yeah. to it very easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been burnt on six packs before, too, or four packs. And, uh, you know, even going out to pubs, ha- I'm leery of the Guinness because I don't know if they turn those yeah. kegs fast enough. Yeah. Like, how been, long is that lucky, beer sitting in there, right? I don't know. You've been lucky. Well, yeah, I think you've been hanging around kind of more the, the uh, that kind of side of the bay where mm. I think Guinness is a little more popular. And now that I I'm know. now that I'm in Martinez, yeah, now I got to be careful. Yeah, you yeah. got to be careful. But mm. but I, I think older Guinness or heat damaged Guinness can accentuate those kind of roasted characters yeah. and can kind of give the a, a semblance of tartness. And that's I think where it came from. I've had it like that too. Yeah, yeah where it's just and even poured from a, someplace that doesn't have their lines very clean, or it's just oh, like oh yeah, a, you know, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, this one tastes a little different. Yeah, yeah. So I it's it's very hard for me to, to go. Out. <laughs> but I think that's where all that comes from. Yeah. Just like all the other kind of stuff we've always known about, uh, you know, homebrew. And the eight came from people yeah. in the seventies and eighties. It's like people it, thought import beers tasted like skunk because right, Heineken, right, right. You know, it's like yeah, yeah, no, no, that's yeah. not how it's supposed to taste. Right, and now what we know that intentionally. Do yeah, it? and now we know that Belgian beers aren't meant to be aged for years and years. They're kind of meant to be drunk fresh. In Belgium, they drink them fresh. They don't yeah. age their beers for three years. And, and then surprisingly, a little hoppier than you're used to. Right. All that. What yeah. is the problem with you Americans? <laughs> right. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and you know wrap things up. This is Doctor Homebrew. Awesome. We'll be right back. Do you know the three most important rules in brewing? Sanitation, sanitation, and sanitation. And no one does it better than Five Star Chemicals. Five Star knows sanitation. You can only sanitize clean equipment. And Five Star knows how to clean, too. 
For craft brewers and home brewers, Five Star has what you need to keep your fermenters, serving tanks, kegs and draft lines sparkling and free of any beer-spoiling bacteria. PBW, caustic, acid cleaners, star sand, Santa Clean, lubricants and defoamers, pH stabilizers, and more. Five Star Chemicals has cleaning supplies, safety supplies, heat exchangers, pumps, hoses, and valves. And Five Star is proud to offer eco-friendly products that exceed customer expectations. If you have a cleaning problem, you need the Five Star Solution. Visit fivestarchemicals.com or call 800-782-7019. 800-782-7019. And get the Five Star Treatment today. I'm sorry to tell you this, but we're going to have to pour you out. Back to Dr. Homebrew. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. Yeah, you're falling asleep over there, buddy. We're going to brew a super double espresso for you right now. Welcome to NPR. Uh, we're going to discuss. Yeah, we're talking the, uh, about being tired. Being tired, dudes, and uh, it's interesting, man. Sometimes you know my wife doesn't understand. Like uh, you know, I'm tired all day. I, I you know I got, I got well, we both got up at the same time, but um, you know I thought I slept well. I took a nap today, which is cool. But I'm so fucking tired. And then, like, being on the show, you have to kind of put all your energy into it. And so afterwards, or at the breaks, you kind of feel... Like, right now, I don't feel tired. But at that break, yeah. I'm yawning. But now it's, like, cool. And so then afterwards, I have to sit here for half an hour and edit. I have to go to the store. Remember when I complained I had to go to the store? You gotta go to the store, hey, man. Right? Yeah, here's the thing about being tired, man. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I didn't even know that's how... You know, you don't think it'd be that way, but, you know, it do. I just fell asleep on my microphone for a second. Next on NPR, a 12-part series about being tired. Speaking of 12 parts of your... Speaking of parts of your homebrew that, you know, I don't know. Have you visited the (laughs) vault for homebrewers? It's White Labs' collection of specialty one-of-a-kind strains. We're able to pre-order and decide which strains are released to homebrewers. All you have to do is visit whitelabs.com slash the vault and place a pre-order on the strain you'd like to use. Once it reaches 150 orders, White Labs will release the yeast and ship it directly to your doorstep. You can also do that for professional breweries, too. You just have to order a minimum of one and a half liters through their yeastman.com or by contacting customer service. So check it out, whitelabs.com slash the vault or, of course, yeastman.com. For all that kind of get good you stuff. and 150 of your homebrewing friends together from a big club and make them make something really weird, man. That's right. I want to see them release just like I don't know beard yeast or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to unleash my inner junior high schooler and vote for WLP 069 or go. WLP 420. There you go, baby. <laughs> you got to do that. Let's go for it. Oh, all right. Well, uh, we have a Grog Tag gift certificate giveaway, and I think we're going to obviously give it to Scott. Hey, Scott. Congratulations, Scott. Scott. You, uh, you know, kind of won by default, but... His beers already look good. His beers already look good, right? Default, the two sweetest words in the English language. We should uh, actually just send the gift certificate to, like, Guinness. I would like to thank the Guinness Brewery as well, because they they brew a damn fine product, and I'd love to go visit them and drink it. I'm told it tastes a little different fresh over there, Um, for sure. I I heard it tastes extremely different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. uh, Imagine what they do at St. James Gate when they got that coupon. Yeah. No, they'd be like, oh, Oy. this is great. You're 40 <laughs> bucks to grogtag.com. Check it out. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, if if you haven't heard that session before, we just did it three or four weeks ago. So check it out. It was actually oh. really very interesting. And we, we tasted some beers that, uh, yeah. you know, that they made at the American Brewery. But, you know, we also had the and classics, too, which we also had the Guinness Extra Stout. Oh, which wow. is like five, four, or something like it's that. A wow. That yeah. beer is really good. I, I went out and bought a six pack the next day. It's it's a very good beer. I forgot how much I really like kind of that stout nice. character because nobody mm. makes every now everyone puts lactose and bullshit in their stouts and it sucks, yeah. man. But I, I don't yeah, thanks to the Guinness people invited to that um, that show you guys did. You are mm. uh, <laughs> you just look at the calendar. You know exactly when it is. Come in whenever you want. What about now that I'm ears kind up of, podcast? Do you, when mm. do you do Come that? in the ears up podcast. We're recording. I don't know. Oh, recording May second. We're going to be interviewing yeah. the uh, people from the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco. Yeah. If you nice. haven't been to that Walt Disney Family Museum, great place to go. Earsuppodcast.com. I wasn't going to bring it up, but Brian, I'm, I'm going to come. So. Your, I'm going to come join your show come, sometime. Come on, that'd be great. After I go with my kids. 
kid. There we go. It's a great show. Um, all right. I think that's it. I think we've covered everything. I think we've covered everything. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks a lot for tuning in to Dr. Homebrew. Spread the word if you know any homebrewers or, or people who just like beer or you want to learn a little bit more about homebrewing in general. Thanks for tuning into the show. If you want to be on the show... Email Brian at thebrewingnetwork.com and uh, tell me what your beer is and what you want out of it, and we'll get you on. There we go. Cheers. All right, everybody. Thanks a lot, and we'll, uh, you know, see you.